for the sermon, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The word of the Lord. Uh, Last week we started chapter 3, and the first thing we did is we said that Paul is immediately bringing to our attention a threat to the Philippian church, uh, a threat to Good Shepherd Orthodox Presbyterian Church. The threat is the threat of the Judaizers. You can call them all kinds of things. The Judaizers have one major thing that they say. They always say to you, it's faith in Jesus Christ plus. It's faith in Jesus Christ plus. That's how you're justified. You and I are taught, we are going to be taught always, that our justification is by faith in Christ alone. These men are going to tell us it's faith in Christ plus something else. You Philippians, you, we're really proud of you for believing in Jesus, but you need to add something to your faith. You need to add this ritual. They wanted them to add circumcision. I always remember, and when I think about these things, I remember reading Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray, and he says, there's so many passages of Scripture that say one thing, and let me read a few of them to you. Romans 3.28 Paul writes, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Ephesians 2.8, Salvation is through faith, not as a result of works. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us not by the righteous deeds we have done ad infinitum. Over and over we can read these verses. We will not be saved if we put our confidence in anything that we do. Any works, any rituals. In verse 3, he's identified the Judaizers, and he calls them, man, I mean, dogs. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Why is he so harsh? Well, because there's something eternal at stake here. So he calls them what they are because he wants you and I to get it right because eternal things are in the end to be thought about. And then he tells us, he turns the corner, 
and he tells us three things about a true Christian, and he calls the true Christian the true circumcision. The true Christian, verse 3, worships in the Spirit of God. The true Christian glories in Christ, and the true Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. These are the three things that he does. So he moves, here's some C's for you to remember. He moves from the conflict to his own confession, and he uses his own confession to explain each one of those points about being a true circumcision or a true Christian. The first thing he does is he starts with the last one first. So he works inside out. He says, put no confidence in the flesh. That's the third mark of what a true Christian is. He says, if anybody... If anybody could put their confidence in the flesh, I'm the man. Have you ever seen somebody, I'm the man. He's the man. He's the most privileged. He's the most polished. He has the advantages and the accomplishments. He is man at his moral best. And so what he's doing here is he's peeling back the curtain and he's showing us what he boasted in the most. What did he boast in? Well, he boasted in the fact that he's an eight-day circumcised young man. He's boasting about being of the nation of Israel where the laws were given to the nation of Israel. How much better can you get? He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Benjamite, loved, one of the most beloved children of Jacob's family. And he is also a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a theological man. He's a Pharisee. He's a persecutor of the church. And he is a man who's blameless before the law. But when he came into the presence of Jesus Christ, he saw all the things that he was so proud of. He saw all those things judged. He saw all those things as filthy rags. And this is what he says in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He takes all of those things and slides them over into the loss column. He slides Christ over into the profit column or the gain column. And then he says, this is where I put all my confidence before God the judge on that final day. This is the third point or the third mark of what a true Christian is. Now we're going to move backwards and do the second point. The true Christian also glories in Christ. The true Christian glories in Christ. Part one today, past glorying in Christ. Part two today, present glorying in Christ. Part three today, future glorying in Christ. Let's think about past glorying in Christ. Verse seven, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I have counted, that's past. But this is a perfect tense verb, so it's kind of fun. Perfect tense verbs have a past completed stopping point, period, finished, and then there's something that continues. There's a result that continues on. I have counted and I am still counting. Now, I want to major on the past for a second. The Apostle Paul, he says he's reevaluated his life. He's reevaluated all things. He's taken Jesus Christ and put Christ in the prophet column. And he's taken all the things that used to dazzle his eyes, all the things where he looked at himself, and he puts all of those things over here in the, in the lost column. He's taking us back 
before he became a Christian, what he gloried in. And remember, he's standing there. He's taking us back to the day where he's standing in front of Stephen and proudly watching everybody stone him to death as he took care of all their coats and their clothing. He's there and he's happy and he's proud of breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Christ. And then, lo and behold, he became one. He believed, folks, he believed Christ got exactly what he deserved. He believed that Jesus died on the cross. He was a fraud. Nobody who lives, nobody dies like that who lives a godly life. (laughs) Right? Go talk to Job's friends. I just always think about Job's friends. Give it up, Job. If you'll just repent of your sins, all these things will get good, be all good again. But Job hadn't done anything wrong. And Job's a precursor to teach us about Jesus. Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. But Paul looked at him as a guilty person. And now on the road to Damascus, his, the tables are turned. He's the guilty one and the risen Savior is the one who's vindicated by God. Only risen men are perfect men. Are content, you know, and so he's standing in front of Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's guilty, and he's being led by his hand all the way to Damascus, and he hears the gospel preached, and now he goes out and he begins to do the same thing. He counted it all loss. It was a past tense thing for the sake of Christ. Now, I have counted. Now, here's the question. Is he presently counting? Is he presently glorying in Christ? He has gloried in Christ. Does he presently glory in Christ? Here's the question. Does the apostle count all his advantages and all his accomplishments, does he cast them all overboard only to pine for them later? Is he sad about what he's done? You remember that story about, the, about God's people come out of Egypt and they're all over here and things get hard and they go, we want the garlics and we want the leeks. We want to go back. Does Paul, as years go by, is he sorry that he cast all these things overboard? Is he sorry that he rearranged the gain and the profits and the losses? Is he, is he sorry? It's been 30 years. He's got plenty of time to go through trials and tribulations to, to test his faith. And, you know, maybe he needs to recalculate. Maybe he needs to swap things back. Does the apostle have a temporary faith? The parable of the soil, Jesus tells us about a sower who goes out and sows the gospel on rocky soil. And, and when you think about rocky soil, you need to think about there's either a shelf underneath it like this with a little bit of soil on top, or there's rocks. There's just a bunch of rocks. And when the seed goes into these, where the rocks are, where there's a shelf of rock, the, the seed begins to go down and try to do, build a root system. But since there's rocks in the way, all the energy of the seed goes up. And it just has all the stuff that you see, all the foliage. And it looks great. And Jesus says, these people, rocky soil believers, these folks, what they do is they just receive the word with great joy. We've seen people do this before. They receive the word with great joy. They just blow up with enthusiasm. They begin to be in every Bible study. They may be leading the Bible study. They may become a preacher. And then when the sun comes out, when the difficulties start because of the Word, what happens to them? They, they, we find out that they're temporary believers. All the foliage 
is burned up because there's nothing to bring fluid or bring the, 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 the you know, moisture up to those leaves and keep them alive. Is this what Paul has? Is he a temporary believer? Got 30 years down, down the road. Is he ready to change? Is he going to give up? Is he a flash in the pan? Well, no, he is glorying in Christ. Let me ask another question. Does the Apostle Paul have faith that's later choked out? Let's just go with that, that same parable. Jesus is telling us this parable about the seed and it's sown on thorny soil. And thorny soil eventually chokes out the seed. Does he have a faith that gloried in Christ but stopped somewhere along the line? I have to ask myself this question. Do pressure, the pleasures of this world come along and choke out the gospel? And do you stop glorying in Christ or are you still glorying in Christ? Think about the worries of the world. Now, none of these things are bad. Think about this. Um, pleasures are not bad. I mean, all of us, I was talking to Evan the other day, and he was telling me, you know, Dad, I need, to, I need to get more protein, and I need to get my muscles big, and I need to take more protein. I don't need to worry about how it tastes. And I go, son, son, when you get older, one of the, one of the most wonderful things about life is taste. <laughs> I mean, look, if there's anything was about this COVID deal, when you lose your taste, oh, friend, you want to taste that barbecue we had two weeks ago, right? Nothing wrong with pleasures, nothing wrong with taste. But what happens when worries in the world, um, we begin to think, oh, I got to exercise more than my glory in Christ. I got I to gotta go and make sure my diet's right more than I glory in Christ. These things take us over. Oh, I got to keep my house right. Got to keep my, all these things. Now, I'm not against any of those things. But do they choke out the glorying we do in Christ? And we can think about riches as well, catching our eye. Is glorying in Christ all past? Has, has, has heat and sun and persecution and pleasures taken over? Have riches taken over? Have uh, worries got in the way? Am I somebody who can say I counted, but I'm not counting? The apostle answers it like this. He says, no. He says, I am counting. In verse 7, he says, I have counted. In verse 8, he says, I am counting all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I am counting present tense. It's been 30 years and I'm still counting present tense and nothing Nothing is going to keep me from glorying in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few thoughts here from verses uh, 7 and 8. There's, a, I think, a deliberate contrast here from verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, I have counted. Verse 8 says, more than that, I am counting. Verse 7 says, whatever things were gained to me becomes all things. Loss becomes rubbish. For the sake of Christ becomes the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord. So Paul's going to tell us present glorying in Christ. Check, I am. I am glorying in Christ. And pre present glorying in Christ has two things we can include. Number one, knowledge and second, suffering. Look at verse 8. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. Now when you come to Christ, we don't come to Christ. And, and you know, Paul had to keep learning. Right? He had to keep learning. There were three years. We don't even understand exactly everything, but there was like three years where he's like, 
hidden away. We don't even understand exactly all of the, all of some of his life. But there were times where he was learning. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I was miserable because there were like people younger than me that knew so much more than me. <laughs> you know? And I used to go, I kind of envied them. And then I started realizing, you know, you just better go get over there with them and learn what they know. Go humble yourself and learn what those guys know. If they're a few years younger than you, a few years older than you, go learn. Go learn from them. Go learn. And isn't this what we do with our wives? You know, um, my wife was dating my best friend. And um, I was with them like a third wheel many times. On Wednesday night, third wheel. Sunday, Sunday morning, th Sunday night, third wheel. Sometimes on Friday night, I'd go out with them on their dates. They tried to set me up with somebody, and it didn't work out. Well, I kept waiting on him to ask her to marry him, and he didn't do it. <laughs> I don't think I really understood the nature of their relationship, but I found myself taking her out fishing. I found myself taking her out getting coffee. I found myself teaching her my Bible study that I was going to be teaching on Sunday morning. And finally, when I realized he wasn't going to ask the question, I did. Now, folks, listen. How does it start? How does this relationship with your wife start? It starts by looking into their eyes and knowing that's the only person you want to look into their eyes like that the rest of your life, Peter. That person. That person. And so when, when it's all said and done, you say, I do, then you stop all of that. Right? How's that working for you? That's what Dr. Phil would say. How's that working for you? That's one thing he says that's, that's good. How's that working for you? But it ain't working for you if you don't keep doing it. You got to keep the coffee going. You got to keep the hand holding going. You got to keep looking into each other's eyes deeply and knowing each other. And the same thing's true when you come to Christ. Some of you kiddos, some of you folks will say to me, I know one right here sitting right here. She grew up in a Christian home. She heard the gospel over and over. She saw all the things we just got through saying about these kiddos. She saw baptisms and the Lord's Supper and she heard a guy up urgently saying you need to believe in Christ in front of people on a regular basis, and she would say to you, you know, I don't know when I became a Christian, I just know I love Jesus. And then there's others of us who may sit here in front of, front of us, all of us, and stand up and say, you know, I got stopped in my tracks just like the Apostle Paul. I got stopped. I turned around, went the opposite direction. But you know, both of us find out we need our sins forgiven. And both, both of us know we need a Savior who came and died on the cross for our sins and all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, listen, the Heidelberg Catechism says this, if you have real faith in Christ, it's impossible for you not to love Jesus. Impossible. If you have real faith in Him, you will be full of gratitude. You will be full of love. You can't be 30 years of, of you know, oh yeah, it's back there. No, it's present tense stuff. And you and I, we will say stuff like this. I think I got this out of somebody's commentary. He's not superior to all things. He does not excel all things. Jesus is in a class by himself, just like your wife. You can't pry me away from Lori. And you can't pry me away from Christ. You need to make the apostles' words your words. This is what he says. Make these words your words. 
He set me apart from my mother's womb. He called me by His grace. He was pleased to reveal Himself to me. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him against that day. Can you say that? Those are your words, not just His words. Those are your words. I know... I know that my Lord will award me to me the crown of righteousness on that day. It's fresh testimony. Well, also, present glorying in Christ. Oh, I wish I didn't have to say this. Present glorying in Christ includes suffering. Verse 8, from whom I suffered the loss of all things. You know, this man suffered. Paul suffered, didn't he? Y'all go read 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. His clothes were stripped off his back. He was flogged till the skin came off his back. He was stoned and left for dead. Five times he re- received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. And on and on we could talk about shipwreck and all the rest. What are we saying here? Well, we're saying that our faith in Jesus Christ and our glorying in Christ will be tested Is glorying in Jesus Christ just a summer sport? Is it just a season? Or is it something that goes on? I think, you know, the apostle talks about suffering in positive ways and negative ways. First, he says this about suffering. He says it's a positive bestowment. In Philippians 1.29, we read, It's been granted unto you not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but also to suffer. It's been granted to you. It's a, it's a positive bestowment, folks. It's the wisdom of God in your life to suffer, folks. It's God's wisdom. Sometimes we suffer because of our own choices. Sometimes we suffer because of the choices of others. Sometimes we suffer because of our circumstances. But it's all in God's wisdom. So it's a positive thing. But at the second, I I think we need to think about this. It's also negative. The Apostle Paul, he's not sentimental. He understands that being beaten five times with a whip, 39 times, that's not good. Don't, Don't kid yourself, not good. Not good to be beaten with rods. It's not good to have to bury a seven year old. It's not good. I'm not going to sit here and play like, that's good. Does God take those things and make good come out of them? But let's, let's be honest. He says this about Epaphroditus. Remember we said a few weeks ago, he says, if this man had died, I would have had sorrow on top of my sorrow. I think we have to call it what it is. I think we have to say suffering's not good. But I think we also have to say that God is at work in all of these things. Has God not used the suffering you've gone through to drive you closer to Christ? Has He not caused you to glory more in Jesus Christ and to look for this one who's going to save us out of all of this stuff in the future? One Puritan said this, When the king of the kingdom brings you into the cellar of affliction, remember 
he stores the very best wine there. Spurgeon said, those who dive into the sea of affliction for the sake of Christ, they bring up rare pearls. If it's a pinprick, or if it's 39 lashes, less, or 40 lashes, less one, whether it's a good day or a bad day, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and glory in Him, it's going to be fine wine. It's going to be rare pearls. Well, part three. Future glorying in Christ. Verse 8 and verse 9. It says at the very end of verse 8, it says, So that I may gain Christ. And at the very beginning of verse 9, it says, And may be found in Him. So what does it mean to, to gain Christ and be found in Him? Well, these two phrases are parallel to each other. To, be, to gain Christ is to be found in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be gaining Christ. So what does it mean to be found in Christ? In one sentence, it means to have Christ is my all-prevailing merit. My all-prevailing merit. It means nothing less than to have the righteousness that comes from God. Now what is that? We're moving into the future that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Him. This moves us to the day of judgment. And on that day, you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ. All authority has been placed in His hands by God the Father. And He's going to judge the living and the dead. And there's one essential ingredient to be able to stand before Jesus and be openly acknowledged and acquitted on that day before Him. What is that essential thing? It's to be found in Jesus Christ. It's to have this righteousness that we're talking about, that comes out from God. We need to understand some things before we can get this essential in our minds right. Number one, God is righteous. Jesus prayed in John 17, O righteous Father, God the Father is always righteous, always does what is right, never does what is wrong, never lies, never takes a bribe, always gives righteous judgments. Second, God requires righteousness for us to fellowship with Him. And when God created Adam and Eve, they were created, and I'm going to cut it short, I won't say the whole uh, shorter catechism answer, but they were created in righteousness. They were created to walk in the cool of the day and fellowship with God. But when they sinned, they fell from that original righteousness. Now they lack righteousness. Now we born in Adam, we lack righteousness. And Romans 3 says no one is righteous, not even one. So we lack righteousness. What do we do as those who lack righteousness? We all know the answer, don't you? We try to provide a righteousness that will please God. <laughs> and that's what Paul was doing in verses 4 through 6. He's trying to provide a righteousness. He's going, look at all my advantages. And he's saying, look at all the, my accomplishments, and here is my righteousness I've derived by the law. And this is what we do. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I, I think I've told you this before. You can get the Ten Commandments, or you can get a, a, a big old long legal pad like I did when I was 18. And I wrote down 25 things I was going to do for God. And every day I measured myself. <laughs> I never did them all right. Even my own list, I didn't do exactly the way I wanted them to be done. We can't provide what we lack. And the apostle, 
The apostle says he's blameless as to the righteousness by the law until he read the Tenth Commandment one day and he saw he was dead in his sins. He says, the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt covet, it came alive and I died. I've, I've, I've talked to some people in the past, two or three people, and they've literally said to me, I was reading the Bible one day, and they said, all of a sudden, I realized I am a sinner at 27 years of age. And I was sitting there looking at my friend, and I'm going, really? <laughs> you didn't understand you were a sinner before? While you are in class with me a few years ago in seminary, you didn't realize it then? No, I didn't realize it till now. Just like this. Paul one day goes, <laughs> the 10th commandment came alive. Now, I'm going to, let me, let me tell you what I think he means. Saul was a superior person. He was advancing beyond all the Pharisees. But one day he ran into a more superior person and his name was Stephen. Full of power, full of the spirit, full of wisdom that nobody could cope with. He looked like an angel when he spoke. And Saul wanted what he had. I think that's what he was coveting. And he fell down. He went mad with anger. And that's where he saw that his righteousness was nothing more than filthy rags. We try to provide what we don't have. And we can't provide it. But God, who is righteous, he gives to us a righteousness he has prepared for us a righteousness. Paul says in verse 9, Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes out from God. From God. This is something that God gives us, and it's in Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have this righteousness. Do you want Jesus as your righteousness? You can't provide it. God provides him for you. He gives him for you. Jesus Christ is the righteousness that comes from God and he's the essential that you need to be able to stand before God on the day of judgment. Not to be found in Adam, but to be found in Jesus Christ and you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings and bliss. He's the one who can make you stand acceptable to God. God made Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin for you. That we, that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. How do you receive it? Verse 9, by that which is through faith in Christ. It's by faith. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. One commentator says this, Faith, not works. Faith, not climbing the stairs. Faith is getting on the elevator. And you're taking, it's given to you. God promises this by faith. So take this gift and you will be acceptable to God. Take this gift and you will be found in Jesus Christ. Are you ready to, to have to glory in the future? Glory in Christ in the future? Well, you have to glory in Him today. Remember we said not just yesterday, but we have to glory in Him today. If you're not glorying in Him today, then take hold of Him so that you're ready to glory in Him in the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time to be in Your Word. We thank You for this 
this message that Paul lays out in front of us about glorying, not in our own righteousness that we try to produce, which is never really that good, but filthy in your sight. Rubbish, even. Manure, Paul says. But we have something so precious and so valuable in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ that you love and accept, and when we put our faith in Him, He's ours and we're yours. Father, I pray that we would take Christ and hold on to Him and glory in Him today so that we're ready to meet Him in the skies in the future. We'll praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.